A eulogy in memory of Marjorie Elaine Miller Donovan, born April 1st, 1920, died April 30th, 2020. One century and one month. I was three, I think, and sleeping in my little bed there at 440 Ward Street. And I had a dream, and in this dream, I was playing with other children in the neighborhood, and I heard them say things like, David's mother died, David's mother is dead. And then I remembered talking with somebody, and I said, I really miss my mom, she died. And then I was sitting up in bed crying my eyes out. Father came rushing in from their room, and he said, David, you've had a bad dream and he scooped me up and carried me into their bedroom. And there was mother sitting up in bed, calmly reading a book. She didn't say anything, but she didn't have to. She was there, she hadn't died. I felt so relieved and I felt safe. She was born Marjorie Miller to Edward and Louise Miller in Cincinnati, Ohio. Woodrow Wilson was still president. When she went to school in Hartwell, she decided then and there that she wanted to be a music teacher just like her music teacher. When she went to Walnut Hills High School, she sang in the chorus and played timpani in the orchestra. One of her classmates there was a young fellow named Carl Rubin later to be known as Common Pleas Judge Carl Rubin, and still later as Federal Court Judge Carl Rubin. That Carl Rubin. A friend of mine worked for the judge as a clerk when he was in the Federal Court. And he was remembering people that he knew from Lebanon, and he happened somehow to mention Marjorie Donovan. Carl Rubin said, oh yes, Marjorie Miller. I went to school with her. She was quite a looker. I told that story to mother and she laughed, but she also looked rather pleased. Well, then came Miami University and her sophomore year, a fateful thing happened when she ran into a tall skinny fellow carrying a trumpet case walking across campus. She thought she had seen him somewhere so she asked him if he had been at this certain place, and the tall, skinny fellow said no, and ran away. But I'm very certain he noticed what the good judge noticed, and they began to see each other. Mother called it courting. Sometimes a date might consist of taking a long walk, or sharing a Coca-Cola, or having a picnic together. I asked Mother, how long did it take you to discover dad's sense of humor? She said, oh my, no time whatsoever. And she told a story about them going to a fall formal dance together. Now these were rather lavish affairs in those days because the universities would hire some of the best big bands in the country. Tommy Dorsey, Benny Goodman, uh, Ari Shaw. So it was at one such event that mother decided she wanted to make a special skirt. So she bought material and a pattern 
and went to her parents' home the weekend before so that she could use her mother's sewing machine. She got the skirt put together just the way she wanted it, bought a pretty blouse, and borrowed her mother's crinoline petticoat to give the skirt its proper flair. So as she was waiting in the lobby of Withrow Court where the dance was to be held, just as young William Donovan arrived, just as young William Donovan arrived, she felt the only button on the petticoat give way and things starting to go southward. She scooped things up and went to the ladies' room where she found a safety pin and managed to repair the situation. When she stepped out onto the dance floor, William Donovan was standing there with a twinkle in his eye and he said, all secure? In the spring of 1942, they were alone in the formal gardens there at Miami University. And dad asked mother a question that went something like this. If I'm not called up into the army, or if I am called up, if I make it back, and if I make it through my senior year, and if we still feel the same way, will you marry me? All of those conditions had to be met, and they were over a four-year period of time. And in July of...
1946, they were married at her parents' house in Kenwood in front of the fireplace. And thus began the rich tapestry of their married life together, which lasted almost 68 years. They attacked their professions as music educators with enthusiasm. They went to New York to get their master's degrees at Columbia University. Their diplomas were signed by the then Columbia president, Dwight David Eisenhower. Returning to Ohio, they started the family. I came first, followed by Brother Dan, later by Sister Kathy. We had a good life at 440 Ward Street. Not lavish, but comfortable. We had a lot of fun. We played outdoors a lot. We took camping trips. We had relatives visiting. We shared in love, joy, and humor. We also shared in the terrible tragedy of Kathy's death in 1975. The family grew, and all of a sudden there was two grandsons, Graham and Brody, and still later two step-grandchildren, Jennifer and Austin. By now there were two daughters-in-law, Carol Donovan and Regina Flanagan. Then came some great-grandchildren for mother. Adrian was first, followed by Sienna, followed by Wrangler Donovan, and finally Emerson Perry, a large family that all loved Mama D.
Beyond profession and family, the most important aspect of life for Mother was her involvement with St. Patrick's. She was a founding member, and of course everybody knows her work with the adult choir as organist of the church, as founder and director of the St. Patrick's Boys Choir, which ought to put her on a short list for sainthood. But there's one story that isn't quite as well known, I don't think. Mother was the last survivor of that meeting in 1962 at the Golden Lamb on St. Patrick's Day, when members of the diocese and uh, other interested Episcopalians first discussed the idea of a Episcopal congregation in Lebanon. It was joked at the time, well, we ought to call it St. Patrick's, but nothing was decided until later, a little over a year later, when a group of volunteers met in the old Oswald funeral home, which they were going to renovate and spruce up to be an appropriate place for worship. And we had a meeting, Father Gale chaired the meeting, and discussed many things about what was coming. And finally he said, now we have to decide upon the name of our congregation. And he asked for suggestions. Well, my dad, no doubt, playing on the fact that we were in a former funeral home, suggested Church of the Resurrection. Mother was far more sensible. It should be St. Patrick's, she said. And it was settled. Mother and Dad each had a way of having a strength that would complement the other's weakness. My dad would sometimes lament about that damn Miller persistence and obsession with detail. Mother fashioned it into a metaphor of them working on a wallpapering project together. Dad would take whole sheets and cover vast amounts of area on the wall, while Mother was left with a razor blade fiddling around plug plates and window sills and door jams. As she put it, he did the splashities, I did the crappities. Ever since his passing, in 2014, not a day went by but what she missed him terribly. And in that time, I became more involved with her day-to-day -day life. I would drive her to the store, to the bank, or sometimes just drive her around the countryside. Once a year, she wanted to go to a place on Waynesville Road where we would park the car and climb a steep hillside and she would want to look at the wildflowers, something she dearly loved to do and had done for decades. And she told me all about them. She knew which ones grew first, which ones would come along later. She knew them all by name and she would show me the blue-eyed Mary, 
Jack in the Pulpit, Dutchman's Britches, Red Trillium, White Trillium, Yellow Violet. But her favorite, not surprisingly, Sweet William. So now, I want to go back to that day in 1942 when Dad made his highly conditional proposal to Mother and we teased and joked with him over the years about this and he accepted it with good grace. But I have to reflect, he was only 21 at the time. Mother was barely 22. The world was at war, the country was mobilizing and it had not yet been six months since the bombing of Pearl Harbor. In short, he asked the only way he could have. And Mother said yes. And she reached down and she picked a long blade of grass. And she circled it and made a ring and tied it with a knot and put it on her finger as a symbol of her love for William Donovan. She kept this fragile piece of grass in a tiny cardboard box on a pad of cotton all the rest of her life. More precious than gold or jewels, it now rests with her body, its purpose fulfilled. And if they are together again, as I believe they are, then they certainly must be like they were then on that day, young and beautiful, deeply in love, and bravely facing a future in those darkest of times. So, thus believing, I further think that at this moment our father is saying something very funny and our mother and Kathy are laughing. Amen. Uh, 